This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Easy Roller Dice for all your dice needs. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and to our patrons who support us directly at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 301, we're going to sneak around the corner and stab you in the back, sneak attack, as we discuss rogues. And joining us for this episode is one of the great organizers of Adventures League, coming out of Tennessee, Ginny Loveday. Welcome back. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me back again. We are always glad to have you here. And also, uh, sitting next to Ginny on, in the virtual panel is the nicest man in gaming, uh, your friend and mine, from the Misdirected Mark podcast, Sean Merwin. Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, see, yeah, I fixed that title, Nicest Man in Gaming, because we all admit the, the, that Ginny is nicer than you. The, that's, I think we've come to that agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally on the panel uh, is the Tome Show's social media manager back again. Welcome, Ishmael Alvarez. Hello. Always good to have you guys on. Definitely. Uh, this is the continuation of our class series, examining each class in depth. And since our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show said we should work on the original core classes, this episode is about the stealthy, hard-hitting rogue. But before we sneak away into that discussion, I want to mention our sponsor, EasyRollerDice.com. EasyRollerDice is easily my favorite dice provider. Last year, I bought a bag of assorted D20s for my after-school gaming club as little uh, gifts for them at the end of the year. And the kids loved them. They have this feel and this look about them that most dice companies don't even come close to. I highly recommend you check them out. And when you do, head over to EasyRollerDice.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. All right, and now it's time to disable all the traps that get in the way of playing rogues. Are you liking my rogue puns yet? (laughs) No. No? (laughs) All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is the history of the class rogue. Uh, Tracy mentioned that the rogue is... Uh, is on our list at this point because the the patrons recommended we we finish off the core classes the the basic original sort of D and D classes. But the rogue wasn't originally a D and D class, was it? That is correct. So where did the rogue come from? Hey, but I'll answer since I'm talking. Uh, okay. the, the rogue came was actually the thief uh, in in first edition. Uh, 
but if you want to go back all the way to O D and D, then uh, I don't, I didn't do research this far back, and I'm not quite that old, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that they were one of the original classes from O D and D. No, the first reference that I found to them as well, like you said, from A D and D, where they were kind of a combination of thief and bard. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing some quick research on, on the Source of All Knowledge Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> wherein it describes that the first time it really appears in, like, the player's handbook was there, there was a, a almost a, a third-party published supplement um, back in the day, uh, in, during OD&D, it looks like 1975, in a Greyhawk supplement that they published with the Thief class uh, introduced there, so... Uh, it kind of goes a little bit before AD and D, but uh, first edition, but not much, not really. So, and and so, what is, I guess, the rogue thief, whatever you want to call it? Because by third edition, so it was the the thief for several editions, and then by third edition, they decided to go more with the the term rogue instead of thief, uh, and it's been the rogue ever since. So. Let's start with sort of where the inspiration for the thief comes from and then talk about the shift of what it means when it goes from being a thief into a rogue. Why make that change? So let's start with the origins, the the creative origins. Where does the idea for the rogue come from, do you think? Where are the inspirations? Or the thief, I should say. Oh, I mean, I definitely say there are probably many, many inspirations to that. You've always kind of had the uh, person who is going to be best at uh, picking locks and opening doors and kind of that uh, style of play. Mm. And I'm sure that that's a little bit where that had to come from because you had to have that specialist in the party who was you know, able to overcome those uh, very difficult uh, traps and other such things, the the token sneaky person, as and it were. And it seems to <laughs> me like one of the first party leaders that went looking for that sneaky thief specialist mm-hmm. character was Gandalf, yes? Absolutely. That is mm-hmm. absolutely correct. So so the yeah. thief in many ways was, was um, D&D's way of trying to introduce Bilbo or a Bilbo-style character into, into D&D. That is exactly, yes. So going back to Tolkien-esque, then Bilbo would definitely be, if we're basing our entire party on uh, the original adventuring party there, as it were. And then if I could propose going back even further, Mm. uh, you see like a a thousand and one Arabian Nights. Mm -hmm. uh, There are a lot of of, uh, thieves, sorry, there are a lot of thieves in there and the kind of the, the thief template um, is something that you see that isn't necessarily vilified, but you see these kind of sneaky and clever characters uh, like Aladdin, mm-hmm. uh, and you know just to just to go with the most obvious one. But there are others who uh, go and steal things or who are very uh, agile and, mm-hmm. and use that advantage. Yeah. And and you also have uh, the whole, I guess, grave robber uh, history in terms of you know. There were a bunch of things, particularly like Egyptian periods, the pyramids that were created in order to thwart uh, people that would be able to come in and, and try to steal things. So the idea of a specialist to, to move past those um, would be a natural inclination. 
yeah, and just uh, just trying to remember because uh, I played in newbies DMs game for a while. Uh, was it originally like the thief in D and D was the only one that actually had skills um, that you would roll? Yeah, in one of the yeah. earlier editions. Yeah, I was gonna say because I started playing with second edition A D and D and. Yeah. They they had a specific set of skills that only the thief had access to, and they were like pickpocket and stealth and that kind of stuff. Those they weren't skills that like proficiencies were the skills, but they had mm-hmm. these extra sort of thing that you rolled uh, a percentile die to see if you, you could pull them off, sort of thing. Yep, pickpockets, open locks, find remove traps, move silently, hide in shadows, hear noise, climb walls, and read languages. You can only hide in shadows. You can't like hide in trees. You can't like hide behind exactly. boxes. Yep. But it, it was kind of interesting to me playing in that game because uh, for some of those, that it was the only character that had anything on on the skill sheets, uh, on their uh, character sheet that would say like you can do this thing. And sometimes we were at a loss as to like, well, what do the other characters do? Right. <laughs> right. They hit things with swords or they cast spells. Yep. <laughs> It's basically it. And and speaking of the inspiration for the the thief, one more uh, is Fritz Lieber's Lankmar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fofford and the Gray Mouser are you know the main characters in those stories, and they are you know, quintessentially thieves. Although they have other kinds of skills, uh, most of the pulpy stories that that Lieber wrote about them are you know all about doing kind of shifty things mm-hmm. uh in in the in the vein of thieves so yeah i was hoping somebody would have mentioned them because i i knew they were sort of very inspirational towards the D thief and I, i've never read the story so i don't really have much to add so yep very good so then by third edition the thief becomes the rogue what does the rogue conceptually what is the rogue that a thief wasn't I guess. Why, why the name change, do we think? If, if I had to take a stab in the dark, intended, um, <laughs> I would say that uh, it was a shift away from kind of the the stigma of being a thief. Number one, being a thief implies that you steal things, um, which a rogue can do, but that's not necessarily the focus of their character. They can be assassins. They can kind of vary a little bit. Uh, and uh, there's something too about a rogue that's a little bit more debonair than a mm. thief. You imagine a thief almost to be like thuggish or just to be like this uh, this kind of criminal, whereas a rogue it it, it kind of has a, an air of mystery around it. Um, you know, just being a little bit more uh, towards that. Plus, I, I I've always got this sense, and this was something I I saw running around with groups, kind of in the late 90s early 2000s that uh any any character who was a thief kind of had that stigma to them because then unless it was a tight-knit group everyone's like oh they're just gonna steal from me Mm -hmm. which in all fairness some of them did some of them were either open or not so open like passing notes saying oh yeah i'm gonna take this from the party or i'm gonna sneak up to the treasure before everyone else does Mm -hmm. and i don't know chicken and egg i don't know which came first but there was that perception and i think that was what they were trying to move away from is to make it seem like these people were like these by necessity um larcenous characters when Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily have to be 
Yeah, no, I think the the <clears throat> the shift from thief to rogue was an attempt to make the the class a little more versatile, uh, especially in its in its image. Right? It, it wasn't, you know, versatility in concept is is largely a matter of, of window dressing, especially in those early editions. Right? Um, but the idea, like you mentioned, that you could play these other kind of sneaky, skillful sort of characters that don't have necessarily have to be stealing from people, right? It could be the the local fixer. It could be the swashbuckler or pirate or whatever. It could be, um, you know, the the scout or what have you. Like there's there's lots of things that rogues could do as as sneaky folks. Um, that don't have anything to do with breaking into into houses or picking people's pockets or whatever. So, yeah, and one of the strange things about uh, AD and D first edition is that it was really very dungeon centric, uh, especially in the early days when you know all of the published adventures were just a dungeon. Hmm. And so, you, if you give thieves the ability to pick pockets, but they're only going into dungeons. <laughs> A lot of, you know, you're not going to pick a beholder's pocket uh, due to lack of, say, legs. Uh, so really the only thing that you could, only people you could pick pockets from were the other party members. Uh, and the, obviously as more adventures came out and the idea of a campaign where you would go to a city and do things and then go to the dungeon and, and get involved with, with more indifferent NPCs, uh, you know, the the whole idea of picking pockets was well, but I have I have the ability. I better use it. And uh, my friend Bob over there is the only pocket I see. So here we go. Uh, and and that as that I as that concept switched over to more of a, a long term campaign, then uh, the 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 thief had other things that it could possibly do. Mm. So that was just a strange a strange way that the game developed uh, until it grew to the point where you were having longer-term campaigns uh, with more diverse adventure types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think there was also perhaps some attempt to, to simplify areas where the rules of the game overlapped, so to speak. So uh, in, in earlier editions, uh, especially by second edition, there were multiple classes that could kind of sort of do roguish things. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, but they were all different classes. So you, want, you had the thief and you had the assassin, and they were different things, but they did some similar things and, and mm-hmm. whatever. If you picked up Oriental Adventures, then there might have also been the, what, the ninja or whatever, right? Um, and, but by third edition, which is, I strange, feels strange to say, because third edition was one of the more complex editions of D&D, and, and arguably still is with its evolution into Pathfinder. Um, but they, I think where they could simplify, they're like, well, what's really the difference between a thief and an assassin? This one does some of these things, that one does some of those things, so let's just make them one class and give you sort of custom, customizing options so you can go one, one direction or the other and... and uh, otherwise, because otherwise they're like ninety percent the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the philosophy that they continue to follow. Right, the modern day rogue has uh, appropriately has three archetypes, and one of them is thief, and another one is assassin. So clearly, mm-hmm. that's where they're pulling that inspiration from: is these original older classes that were merged together to become the rogue. Right. So, mm-hmm. 
any other sort of uh, areas where people might find inspiration for what is the rogue, right? We talked about the sort of um, literary uh, origins of inspiration for the thief, but now that we've converted to the rogue, what kind of characters might you point at that are rogues? Obviously, all of those thief characters could be statted out as rogues, uh, but what other kinds of characters do you think could be rogues? And then I, I think a little bit like what you said with um, going into other cultures and stuff, there's definitely the ninja um, aspect as well as like um, traditionally spies and undercover agents mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then with some of the uh, the newer archetypes that you've seen going into uh, like 3.5 and current 5th uh, edition and stuff, you kind of uh, branch out into stuff like the scout, the the swashbuckler, so kind of piratey and um, kind of uh, almost ranger-like characters. Mm. Um, I, I think, um, pro- pro- I would say probably Tracy has better literature and cultural references on that, but definitely inspiration from kind of other other genres and stuff that we're reaching into mm. with the modern iteration. Tracy, do you have some other literary inspirations you could pull from? Uh, well, the one that I thought of while I was rereading The Rogue is uh, Matt from Wheel of Time. Mm. And it may be in, in part because uh, Fred is currently listening to the books. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think... Oh, go ahead. And I think you could you could branch to other genres as well. I mean, I think the I think the rogue in as it currently stands, and going back to third edition, was built to also be able to be like the investigator, whether it's a detective or private mm-hmm. eye or whatever. Like it can do that. I think Han Solo would be a rogue. You know uh, that, which seems strangely relevant at the moment. <laughs> definitely, definitely a rogue. Indiana Jones would be another good example. Mm. Which is a completely yeah. different kind of character, right? Mm-hmm. And still Harrison Ford. Yes. <laughs> Weird. Harrison Ford himself might just be a rogue. <laughs> He's very skilled. Yeah, He's a and carpenter he... and he can fly a helicopter. There you go. Not not well, but uh, he can fly <laughs> no, a helicopter. Uh, but yeah, anything that's... I, I've heard the term skill monkey thrown around. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that requires a lot of different skills. So you know, what everyone's been saying, but... But they, they throw Sherlock Holmes at at one point in the book to say, you know, if you take a high intelligence, then then you're you're uh, in that vein, an investigator, a, a private detective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anyone who is going to rely on knowledge uh, to to solve problems. Yeah, which that's which is kind of like me. a wizardy thing. Uh, but you know, he's not a wizard. Yeah, that 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 one's tricky to me because. Like, I, I understand why, and we'll get into some of the class features in a second uh, that'll explain some of this, but I understand why the rogue is referred to as a skill monkey. They get a lot of skills and a lot of access to being really good at certain skills and whatever, but it's not like they have the breadth of skills of some other classes. Like, if I wanted to make somebody really knowledgeable, there are wizard and cleric uh, builds that are way better at knowledge skills, right? If I wanted to make somebody who knew a lot of things generally, had knowledge and, and decent at all other skills or whatever, then you build a bard, right? Or, and even go lore bard to, to pick up the knowledge bits. Uh, but none of those guys are as good at, with the skills that the rogue is good at, right? Mm-hmm. And that's more of the, the um, 
It's the sneaking, it's the stealing, it's the disarming of traps, it's the I know how to get places and I know what to expect when I go into that dungeon and I know how to avoid the problems, uh, and it's that expertise kind of skills mm-hmm. that the rogue has. Absolutely. And and I think, I, I always end up talking about this when I talk about rogues, it's the, the search versus spot, you know, the perception uh, versus investigation sort of skill dichotomy that it, that becomes important and also becomes problematic in, in most of the editions where they have skills. Mm. Uh, because depending on which one you as the DM or you as the game creator decide is what's going to be useful for finding traps or spotting ambushes, um, that becomes what the rogue wants to be good at but they're not necessarily good at both so it's always for me a, an interesting uh, dichotomy to see where, what the game does with that mm-hmm. right on so any other sort of places of inspiration for people to think about their rogues or should we go ahead and start talking about the actual 5th edition rogue class all right, I think then we're ready to talk about the 5th edition rogue class. So let's start off with, before I dig into the specific features of the class, why should I play a rogue? You know, If I'm a player sitting down at a game and you're like, um, hey, you need a character, what, what do you want to make? What do I say that makes you say, oh, you should play a rogue? If you want to play a character that's more about finesse... Um, a rogue would be a great start, though not necessarily the only option. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to play a character that's understated, that's more about cleverness and about brute strength, um, a character that um, just has uh, a wide array of um, skills at their disposal. Mm. Um, and yet, well, well, being finesse and being <clears throat> not about brute strength will still do as much damage as the Barbarian. Oh, absolutely. In a combat yeah. So if you want to do, do heavy damage. Go ahead, Tracy. So I, my understanding is that all of the character classes are supposed to hit all of the pillars of play, but I feel like the rogue does give a good combination of uh, things that you can do in combat, but also allowing for a lot of like the, the role-playing aspects. Mm. Uh, without necessarily um, requiring that the person playing them be an extrovert. And not that bard, people who play bards have to be extroverts, but it's a little easier sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can kind of take on that role without having to be the, the face man, right? Yeah. yeah. I do think I agree that the, the rogue kind of has a special place that it will allow you to have... Um, all of the skills needed for uh, social situations, as well as the combat skills for basically any level of fight. Um, and then as far as, you know, exploration goes, I mean, there's almost no one better class-wise as far as sneaking around and exploring a city or scouting out the terrain ahead of the party. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they really do just hit all of those pillars, mm-hmm. like dead, dead on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and and so let's go ahead and, and move into the the actual mechanical class features here. And I think some of the class features 
stand alone as this thing that rogues do that is kind of cool. And some of the things that rogues do, in my mind, kind of come in pairs. Like there's a couple of things around a similar theme, right, um, that, that highlights that rogues are good at this, right? So I think it was Sean referred to the rogue as, as sometimes called the, the skill monkey, right? And, and a lot of that is based around two class features that the rogue gets, expertise and reliable talent, right? Expertise allows you to get double your proficiency bonus in a couple of skills, and then a few levels later you get to add a couple of more skills. So there's you know four skills you're doubly proficient in. Uh, and then later, by what eleventh level, you get a reliable talent where you can pick some skills that are like, okay, if I roll poorly on this skill, it doesn't matter. I get a ten. So you have a floor, and it's a lot less swingy that way. And that's where I think the skill monkey sort of mechanics come in, right, Sean? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just just a matter of having a, a lot of different uh, a lot of different options when you when you take these skills. So th- I think you hit it perfectly. Yeah. And of course, that's also a place of customization because you don't have to all take the same skills, right? Every it's not like um, in the in the back in the second edition AD and D days with uh, and I think Tracy was alluding to this with the percentile uh, little skill options that you could have. It wasn't just here's your five things. You can kind of fiddle with the percentage uh, points that you put into it as you level up or whatever. Um, but it's even more swingy, right? Because you have a lot of, um, well, not swingy, more customizable because you have a lot mm-hmm. of different skill options to choose from. And, and so you can very much have the I'm the thief, but you could also very much have the I'm not the thief because I didn't specialize in that at all. Right. Uh, or tools, you know, right? Because you can always uh, specialize in tools as well as those skills. So, you know, it's even, even a wider array of options. Well, sort of. So I think with um, expertise specifically, it says you can you – can, double your proficiency in thieves tools specifically right but not just tools generally so the thieves tools um you can add that as an option as well right and um if i could talk if i could just add one thing talking about uh rogue class abilities there's one that i don't think a lot of people really notice in fact i just noticed it literally two weeks ago uh and i I, it it seems just kind of like a such a minor change or a minor difference uh, on this, but they actually get one more feat than most every other class. Uh, fighters, most people know, get two extra feats over the course of 20 levels, uh, as opposed to other characters. But rogues get one extra feat, and uh, that could be for a lot of different things. Or not feat, I should say, an attribute, uh, ability score increase, which could be a feat, which depending. Could be a feat, yeah. <clears throat> but you could use that to increase something like intelligence so that you're better at intelligence skills. You could use that to increase charisma if you want to be a little bit more like the face of the party. Or you can choose different feats, so that's another way in which rogues can be just slightly more customizable mm-hmm. than other characters. But also plays into that idea of the skill monkey, right? Because now suddenly <clears throat> you're just a little bit better than other people at, at doing these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they get the extra ability score improvement at uh, 10th level. Mm-hmm. Which really, which really makes them uh, strong, going through the the middle tiers, the levels there. Yeah, and that plays into a lot of things. Like we, I just mentioned, how that plays into skills, but like that's also depending on what you're putting it in. That's also damage or to hit ability or spellcasting ability or whatever, right? That can or play more into skills. Or, or to su- suddenly become the luckiest person in the party. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, uh, I think it is. 
not unusual to see rogues picking up things like the lucky feet so they can they can throw out those oh no i missed uh, and i really needed that sneak attack so never mind i let me roll again and i hit so and th- that's that's for the 10% of rogues that aren't halflings to begin with right <laughs> but uh, and they can uh, still overlap you think uh, i'm a gnomish rogue no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I just mentioned the feature of the rogue that, to my mind, is probably the most iconic rogue feature, um, at least mechanically. Like, if I think of the mechanics of the rogue, not the flavor of the rogue, but the mechanics of the rogue, the first class feature that comes to mind, no matter what the the addition is, is what sneak attack. Sneak attack. Thieves can't. Ah. Oh. <laughs> uh. And uh, it also is one reason to play the rogue is if you like to collect lots of dice. Yes. <laughs> Add more dice. Wait, who said thieves can't? That was me. Sorry. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't even understand that. Exactly. But um. I don't. I don't speak that. <laughs> so Can we talk about this for a long time, and then like eventually come out to the same thing. Yes. <laughs> 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 so, so sneak attack. Let, let's do that, and then we'll come. Back, we'll round back around to these can. Um, sneak attack is basically just the. It's the. This is how I do extra damage. This is how I am in fourth edition terms uh, a striker. Although I would argue the role fits regardless of edition. Right. This is how I. Uh, I sneak up on things and stab them in the back and do extra damage. Is, is basically how it goes. In older editions, it was. It was really crucial to the character uh, and really crucial to the class and much harder to pull off because you had to, like, say, in was it fourth edition where you had to be specifically flanking with your ally? So you had to be on one side and and they had to be on the other side so you could, so, you know, your enemy's uh, attention was drawn in both directions or you had to be pulling off a sneak attack or coming from hidden or whatever uh, in order to get your sneak attack damage. In fifth edition, yeah. since it's yeah, actually so... just just to be clear, there it was anything that happened that denied your target their dexterity bonus to AC. So it, it there are there were a lot of ways in fourth edition you could do that. Um, flanking was probably the easiest way to do right. it. Right. Uh, but you know if 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 the uh, target had a certain condition on it, you know if it was blind or immobile or whatever, it, it, that still counted. True. Uh, that said, sneak attack is way easier to pull off in fifth edition, to my mind, because and and it it becomes less uh, map dependent because of this feature. Because you get sneak attack if you have an ally within five feet of the enemy. So if one of your friends has run up and hit a thing, then you can run up and hit it for sneak attack, and you don't have to worry about whether you're flanking or or whether you got them by surprise, or whether you've denied them their, their dexterity bonus, right? You've got a buddy up there distracting them. You can come up and, and stab him in the side of the neck. And there's or no need him. then for a map. And, and you don't, then, yeah. well, you, and you, so you can do it with a map, obviously, but I can theater of the mind. Yes, your ally is next to them. You're fine. Yeah. It's much easier to imagine, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to set up, which I think yeah. is important because, like, this is such a key iconic feature of the rogue that every time I'm a rogue and I'm not sneak attacking when I attack, I feel like I haven't played my character right. And so you give that player the chance to to do that. All right, uh, and but it's, otherwise it's pretty straightforward. And, and the damage dice goes up over time. And I think to 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 highlight just how iconic it is, it's one of the only. Um, 
class features, or it's really the only class feature that has its own column on sort of the opening summary of the rogue, right? Um, <laughs> which, to, and, anytime that happens, you know that must be an important feature. Yep. And when you say you go up over time, by the time you hit 20th level, you have 10 d6. Right. So that's not, even at 20th level, that's not something this needs at. An extra 10 d6 on every attack, that's, I mean, you're stabbing a guy in the face now. Every attack once per round. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, Sean mentioned Thieves' Cant. And Thieves' Cant is one of those things that's interesting to me because um, it goes back to the olden days of the Thief class. And it kind of makes sense in the larger sort of scale of you're a trained thief and you went through the, the Thieves Guild or some other organization that taught you how to be a thief or you had some sort of mentor or whatever. And that certainly fits a lot of uh, concepts for a thief or a rogue or whatever. Um, but it doesn't fit every concept of the rogue uh, as quite as well, but it's so iconic and it doesn't like mess with balance at all because it's largely a role playing feature. Thoughts on Thieves Cant? If I recall correctly, um, I think there, that <clears throat> now it's just kind of almost a, a footnote in, in the character class, and I think people don't really understand the value in it. If I, if I remember correctly, Druids did or do have something similar where they speak like a... If, if, I don't know if it's uh, the Sylvan Dru language, but... Druidic. Druidic. Yeah, oh, cool, yeah. And um, <clears throat> that made it so that anyone who was a, a rogue could speak with another rogue without, like, in, the, in a secret language, and it, it kind of reinforced, and does, in a way, reinforce that kind of uh, uh, guildy, you know, kind of brotherhood... Uh, it, it, not to use a gender term, but you, you get what I'm saying, mm -hmm. uh, that there's like these groups that kind of cluster together and they have something in common and, and uh, they can rely on each other. Uh, but if I recall, I, I say this a lot, if I recall correctly, uh, I believe that Gygax had a whole lot more lore specific to Greyhawk and the Thieves Guild, and it was a much bigger deal than mm. probably it is now in the Forgotten Realms or, or in any other setting. But... Uh, I think there was like a huge um, backstory and a very a, a very uh, in depth um, kind of uh, like a, 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 an in depth kind of um, look at that guild and that, that it meant something more in the setting. Mm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's fair. I, oh, yo, go ahead, John. Uh, if you have access, anyone to Dragon Magazine four hundred nine. Uh, Alana Abbott has a great article about this topic exactly, uh, about Thieves' Camp over the years. And I, I haven't read this article in a long time, but I think it's it t you know, talks about, uh, this is a little, <laughs> I don't know, uh, for anyone from you know London, uh, it, Cockney uh, was mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. its, its, uh, its genesis. And how the less than savory folk among them would use uh, their their accent and their cadence to talk about things while not talking about things. Mm -hmm. And so, if you have access to that article, read it because it is. I remember it being super fascinating. 
Well, I think that's an important point. Like, like Thieves Cant isn't a different language in the way that like Druidic is, right? Thieves right. Cant is a way of speaking. It's jargon. It's it's uh, like you said, dialect. It's it's sort of you can have a conversation, and if you're not in the know, you have no idea that you just like sketched out a plan to burgle the the mayor's mansion tonight, right? Uh, but if the but the two people standing there talking about you know those shiny pebbles over there, they totally got it. Like they all were in on the on the conversation. And as Tracy alluded to earlier, it takes longer. You might have a have a fifteen minute conversation to get across a three minute point. Um, you know, but but you can do it in the open and, and it doesn't matter if the city guard is surveilling you or if the wizards are scrying on you because they have no idea what you're talking about. It looks like it's just a couple of guys, a couple of, of a couple of, 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 of people sort of, of having that, this conversation about random things that have nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things about it, cause it can, it definitely is trying to make the world richer. Um, but I also think it takes some degree of DM skill to, to, make it count in the game like you'd have to figure out who else right. knows thieves can't and and all that type of stuff and you may or may not want to act it out depending on uh whether or not the players can figure out how to how to do it correctly but yeah no, well and honestly i am usually um i am usually the kind of person who is opaque enough that if somebody makes these kinds of allusions to me just in casual conversation it goes completely over my head until it, it's pointed out to me that they mean something other than what they're saying like i i am not innately uh looking to read between the lines on things and that's what you're doing here right so it's the kind of thing where i would probably hand wave it uh and and you know oh the the rogue meets up with this person and they're talking to you about the flowers in the garden and whatever but you really know they're talking about this other thing you know i, I wouldn't even try to role play it out because mm-hmm. uh, i'm not that person so so after that we get into um another feature that i think has become iconic for the fifth edition version of the rogue uh, or at least it's become iconic to me as a DM because anytime a rogue tries to do it, I'm like, wait a minute, you can't move that far. Oh, never mind. <laughs> uh, and that's the the cunning action feature in that rogues get the normal set of actions that everybody else gets, plus they get to do another one, right? They get this cunning action action that they get to take. And one of the things they can do is basically take another movement. They can go into hiding, right? So they don't have to use their they can they can jump out of the shadows stab somebody and then jump back into the shadows because they have enough actions to do that yeah i've seen it used to great effect uh, it, it's a little unfortunate cuz it's almost it almost makes you want to use the grid whereas the the lack of flanking did not mm. but it is really handy because i've seen i've seen it uh, put to great use for rogues who uh, like to go in, make their attack, and then get out, um, which is really helpful because uh, it really helps that style of play. Otherwise, you're getting kind of uh, uh, trashed if you try and be a little bit more mobile, which is what you you would want to do as a rogue. Mm-hmm. It does it does make my life difficult as a, as a DM if I want to have a chase scene <laughs> or if I want to have a, an NPC get away. And then the rogue's like, yeah, but I get to make three movement actions, so I catch them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> you know, and it's it's made the ranged attacking rogue 
just as powerful as the uh, melee rogue because when they can hide every round mm-hmm. and attack from a distance, then every round is with advantage pretty much uh, when they attack. So, mm-hmm. and then and then also a sneak attack, even if you don't have an ally there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, it's it's a way of taking the rogue, letting the rogue player stay out of danger, basically, mm-hmm. uh, for many, many combats. Mm-hmm. And speaking of staying out of danger, the next two features kind of lumped together in my mind as sort of uh, the first two of the rogues are slippery and you can't hurt them uh, sort of uh, abilities, and that's the Uncanny Dodge and Evasion, right? Uncanny Dodge allows you to use your bonus action to, uh, what is it? Um, or, I'm sorry, your reaction to have the damage from one attack against you. Which means every round you can say, ow, that hurt, uh, but not as much. And I think those two actually go in too uh, with the elusive trait mm. that you get at 18th level. And they all kind of go into that package of uh, rogues just being nigh unhittable or unkillable because they're so just gosh darn slippery. Right. And, and, and speaking of slippery, I would probably include Slippery Mind in there as well. It's a little bit of a different type of defense, but it's another one like you can't mess with the rogue because they can slip out of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck taking him down via mental attacks too. Right. So, so uncanny dodge will allow the rogue to have the damage. Uh, elusive by 18th level allows you to just say, no, it misses or no, no, that's the one that says, no. no, you can't have advantage, right? You can't have advantage unless you've incapacitated me. Right. Uh, evasion is the one, and this is the one, the, a feature that everybody loved from third edition to the point that you really wanted it. And then, and then some classes actually got improved evasion, which was even better. So evasion is the idea of, oh, you, you hit me with an area of effect spell. Uh, it's save for half damage. Well, I just automatically take half damage and I save for no damage. So you're not taking a lot of damage that way. And then slippery mind is, um, giving you proficiency in the wisdom saving throw. So, um, which you, isn't like evasion that, that, is protection from fireball. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, slippery mind to me is a weird one. Like I get it for balance reasons. It doesn't fit the other features as well. Like it's not within the same theme. I guess I get it, but I don't know what, what about rogues ne- inherently makes them slippery of mind, but you know, I, it works. It's not a big deal. I mean, I kind of get it. They've trained and they've got that mental fortitude to get the task done. So uh, it's hard to kind of break through that concentration in order to break down their will Mm. in order to uh, so get them with a a wisdom saving throw. So uh, why am I blanking on wisdom spell saves spells? Uh, (laughs) Most of them hold person. Hold person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hold person is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely can't be held by force of will against their mind. Like, they're just, you know, too highly trained and specialized to mm-hmm. fall to any such tricks such as that. And if evasion is the rogue's protection from fireball, then blind sense is the rogue's protection from invisibility. Mm-hmm. Like, they're so good at hiding that you also then can't hide from them. They can, they know where you are. They can, they have, you know... They know all the tricks for finding things because they're using them to hide themselves all the time. They know everything. 
If they can hear you, they know where you are and can attack you even if you're invisible. Got to be very, very quiet. All right. Um, and I guess we don't usually spend a lot of time on the 20th level powers because not many people spend a lot of time at 20th level. Uh, but that's a pretty good one too. This is the um, it's Stroke of Luck is the name of their 20th level power. Um, and it's basically, uh, I really need this attack to hit. So I roll. I'm not happy with the roll. So I just say, never mind. It's a 20. Like, uh, not No. Uh, for an attack... It's not as 20, because that'd be a crit, but it's just a hit. You hit. Oh, okay. For yeah, on an ability, ability check, it's a 20. Right. And, and that's for that's for any rest. So that's once per encounter, basically. Um, you get to just hit at least once. Which, combined with some other um, archetype features, can become pretty good. And that's... I think that, unless somebody has anything else for the other key features, uh, we can get I'm into the archetypes. I am assassinating you. I am. I am doing it. I am assassinating you. You are you can't assassinating stop me. me. 20. Yeah, at level right. 20, you can't stop it. Exactly. And that's that's what I, the one I was thinking of, right? You, you pull in some of those um, assassin abilities, and suddenly I'm going to hit you with a death strike, and, I'm, and I can't miss. So you better just be good at rolling your save. So, so let's get into those archetypes then. Uh, there, like we mentioned before, there are three archetypes, and and two of them play up the old school D and D classes that the rogue sort of subsumed. Right? You have the thief, and you have the assassin, and then the third one. Um, I, the third one, I feel like um, I I don't. To my mind, the first time I think the arcane trickster came up was a third edition prestige class. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's the first time I remember it. Yeah, so, and so it was. It was. I think it was popular and it was fun, and so um, they didn't want to give up that option, and so here it is as a as a, an archetype for the rogue. Um, the the thief archetype. Who wants to describe the thief archetype for us? He's a burglar, cat burglar. Mm. We're climbing in through the side of the mountain, and we're stealing the heart of the mountain. Okay. That's what we're. <laughs> Uh, no, the thief is what you think of when you you think of your stereotypical uh, thief character. Um, you know, they got they've got quick hands. They're nimble. They're agile. Indiana Jones or uh, I, I I don't know Catwoman or something. Mm-hmm. They they they've got the skills. They'll get in. They'll they'll make the heist and they'll be gone before you ever realize something's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're your if you like the sneaky bit of the rogue and you want to get even better at that, that's where you play the thief, right? So you can you can do those those um, opening lock things and and um, stealing things and disarming traps and all that kind of stuff um, a little bit faster and easier without having to use up as many actions. You can climb, like you said, really well to get up to the second story and break in the window. Uh, you're better at sneaking. Um, the one that I think doesn't make as much sense in the in the crunch of the bunch, but makes as much sense to me because I know the the history of the class is the use magic device bit, where thieves had the ability to use magic devices and use magic items that they really weren't qualified to use in previous editions, uh, or at least have a chance of being able to do so. It's so, because they've stolen enough artifacts from the museum by now that they know which one's not to touch. 
Sure. <laughs> Except maybe they didn't because that's not the story we told. <laughs> so. I mean, it's a mechanism, so... Yeah. Sort of, yeah. And and, and this is the reason why sometimes you'll see uh, a rogue running around with, you know, a wand of magic missiles or, or even... Because um, you, you could use it for, you know, a healing wand or something, couldn't you? Yeah. Staff yeah. of power. Staff of power. Suddenly you've got a backup uh, healer, whatever, if you get enough magic items. This is the... Um, to, to take it into a D&D character for inspiration, this is uh, the, the Jarl Axel sort of thing, right? Where where he has a magic item to accomplish whatever he needs to do, right? He's the walking deus ex machina, and he's got a magic item that, that can do whatever he needs done. Uh, and this is how he's able to use all those magic items, is because he's the rogue with the use magic device. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that... Uh, I- this, this whole description also reminds me of Maui from Moana. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah. He can turn it, into whatever he needs to. Only if he has the giant fish hook that's a magical device. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that one. I I don't know that I would have gone rogue with with Maui, but I can see it. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I knew this group was going to be good. Uh, so our second archetype is the other one that is comes from the classic class that got rolled into Rogue. And that's the Assassin, which second edition, up through second edition, was its own class. And then in third edition, all the Rogues died. Is that, am I remembering it? Or did it go first to second edition, they all died? Yes. Is it first, first to second. second? Yeah. Yep. I remember it's a very specific thing because literally in the Forgotten Realms, all the Assassins died. Like, every character in the setting that was from the Assassin class just keeled over and died one day. That's how they, that's how they explained the addition change, is that all the Assassins right. just killed over and died. It's because the God of Assassins was killed. Or right, Baal, the God of Assassins, right. <laughs> died during the Time of Troubles. And, hey, guess what? We can now get rid of this Assassin right. class, which, since people are looking at our game askance, uh, you know, with all the demons and the assassins and the blood, that's we can just say, oh, look, there's no assassins anymore. Right. And that's when uh, Bob Salvatore tells the story of, um, you know, his editor calling him up and said, well, what are you going to do about Artemis and Trier? He's an assassin. And Bob's like, uh, no, he's not. He's a fighter rogue. There you go. And, and so he pulled it off. You know? So the assassin is like it, the iconic thing that assassins do to my mind is they pull off the one super hit that hopefully kills the the person, which really doesn't happen until later, like what seventeenth level with Death Strike, where you they they hit you and you have to make a con save, um, and if you fail the con save, then they do double damage. Plus, if they set it up right, that double damage is including sneak attack damage, which at seventeenth level is a lot of damage, enough mm-hmm. that a lot of people are just going to die uh, from the one single hit. Um, but what surprises me about the assassin and makes total sense is that it's not just the um, let's make them really good at hitting and killing things uh, archetype. It's also the infiltrating archetype, right? Yes. They have uh, specialties, uh, false identities, and mimicking other people's uh, speeches with the let's see ninth levels when they get infiltration expertise and then thirteenth they get imposter. So in ninth level you can 
unfailingly. You can't. You, it will never be spotted as a fake ID. You can get into any bar you want. <laughs> uh, create false identities. So, um, you know, clothing, letters, certifications, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you need. Take yeah. the time to do it, and and everyone believes you. And it takes a little bit of time, but it's not like you can't just throw it together. Oh, we got this plan. We gotta we gotta get into the the palace tomorrow, and you could just pull it off. It takes uh, what is it? Several days, several weeks, something like that. Seven days. Seven days, almost a week. So it takes about a week um, to to really get this. Like I'm gonna spend this week running around and setting up the documents and and maybe even spreading the rumors. I might describe it as a DM, right? That you're going out there and and um, laying the seeds so that people in this community will believe this identity. Yeah, and. I felt like this is another area where having a skilled DM would be useful to really make it shine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, like, I don't know how many times... I mean, I play a lot more uh, convention games now, so obviously there isn't a lot of time to really build that up Mm -hmm. and stuff. So to me, it would be harder to play that potentially at a convention game. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say right now that I miss Shrouds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) From fourth edition, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's what the assassin did then. They they slowly sort of hit people with these shrouds, and as the shrouds built up, then you could use that as a like a mega strike and use all those shrouds. They were just a token that you put on the the opponent, right? But you could use those to to do one sort of mega hit. Yeah, and I I mean I I guess they still get sneak attack, which makes some degree of sense, but but shrouds are just um... (coughs) yeah. So so anyway, I, I was a lot more impressed with the assassin, and I think if I were to to run it in like a run an assassin in a con game or whatever, the th- the thing I might try to do is work with the DM or, and say, well, we're in this situation. I've lived in this community for some time. Can we say that I have X number of false identities ready to go in case we need them? Um, but even then, it, it, in those style of games, it doesn't always come up. Right. Uh, Ginny, you play. You, you're around a lot of con games. Um, have you seen many people using the infiltration expertise? Um, I primarily run convention games for low level people because it brings me great joy in life. So, <laughs> so, so no. no. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, I think I think most people that gravitate toward the assassin are just looking at that third level assassinate ability mm. and figuring out ways to uh, A, gain surprise and B, make the critical uh, that you get when you do gain surprise uh, hurt as much as possible. Right. Yep, I think that's fair. And then the, the last archetype we alluded to earlier, we mentioned earlier, is the Arcane Trickster, uh, which to my mind is sort of the, I want to be a thief, but steal things from a distance using the Mage Hand uh, cantrip. Does that sort of <laughs> summarize uh, the Arcane Trickster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, you definitely get a lot of use out of that mage hand. I I play an arcane trickster in in a, a campaign, and it's just a lot of fun uh, to be able to not 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 necessarily do incredible things in combat, 
but to uh, to use that mage hand uh, ledger main to just have a lot of fun and do a variety of things uh, to to make the game more interesting. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way, uh, because you can you know take things away from people from a distance uh, as long as they're not holding their sword. If it's just you know sheathed, you can just pull it away long before combat starts. Uh, and it's it's just it's kind of a neat a neat uh, way to play the game a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that could you know when the when the bard or the cleric is up there uh, uh, conversing with the the big bad villain, I could see the arcane trickster just sort of back there in the background, seeing how many of the villains' items they could take off of them before the fight actually comes down. You know, so yeah, or just to tie yeah. together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because you know, if you if you bump up your the, the sleight of hand skill doesn't get a lot of use in regular play, mm. uh, especially not combat. because exactly uh, you know because picking pockets is all well and good, uh, but you can get into trouble for. Them. So using it in in that way uh, can be very effective and. It's not like a lot of monsters have a very high perception check mm-hmm. to be able to notice it. Yeah, and on top of that, the Arcane Trickster also gets into some actual, like, real-life spellcasting ability, too, right? They get up to fourth-level spells by the time they, they max out. Uh, now, they have to focus those fourth-level spells on illusion and enchantment spells, um, but those spells are super useful to a rogue, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea yeah. of having, you know, mirror image or invisibility or whatever makes the rogue even roguier. Yeah, and when you uh, at ninth level get magical ambush, so if if you if you're hidden and then you cast a spell on a creature, they have disadvantage on the saving throw. So you know, right there, depending on the spell you cast, you could end uh, end encounters quite easily mm. by casting you know the right spell at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I, I really enjoy their 17th level. I know we don't usually spend much time on the high-level ones because, uh, abilities because they don't get a lot of play. Um, but the 17th level one sounds like a lot of fun, right? It's the Spell Thief one where somebody casts a spell at you and you can al- it almost counterspells it in that it stops the spell from pulling off except that now you know that spell for the day. If you, as long as you have the spell slot for it, right? Uh, and you can cast that level, you now know it, and it's on your spell list for the day, and you can cast that spell now too. You've stolen mm-hmm. it from them and, and can throw it back at them. Which right. is just, as if, sounds a lot of fun. As, as if high-level uh, NPC monster casters don't have enough trouble right. uh, in the game. <laughs> there's there's one more for you. Yeah, but, but it's not like, it's not the I bounce the spell back at my enemy sort of thing. It's more right. interesting than that to me. It's, no, I stole it, and now it's in my head, and I can throw it out all day long, or at least until I run out of spells. Yeah, it's just one more of that versatility thing that we've been talking mm-hmm. about. You know, it's, it's now I can do this cool thing. Absolutely. So- so if you're a high-level bad guy, just don't tar- target the rogue. Or, tar- or target them with spells that are higher than fourth level, because the rogue can't steal go. it. Or can't steal it if they can't cast it. So, oh well, I shouldn't say if they don't have the level for it, because they can steal spells they normally can't cast. They don't have to be on their normal spell list. 
they can steal the fireballs or or, or even uh, if I remember right, they could even steal non wizard spells. Right? Yeah, it says it does not have yeah. to be a wizard spell, so they can steal the cleric or the warlocks or the whatever spell. So, and I have to imagine some some groups out there uh, being extra tricky. It's like, hey, party cleric, why don't you throw a spell at me and then I can use it later? Well, yeah, I was gonna say, can can you purposely allow them to steal the spell? Like, can the cleric just throw a a first level, you know, uh, cure wounds at them, and then now they've got cure wounds for the day, and, and pull that off. Would that work? I don't know. That would be an interesting uh, interaction there. <laughs> I mean, you normally wouldn't try to steal a, a cure wounds coming at you, but if you set it up ahead of time like that, so that you'd have an extra healer, um, I don't know well, if that's your last. I don't know how many times can they cast cure wounds a day because. If there's a limit, well, cure wounds is first level, so they got they, they should have a decent number of first level spells. Yeah, I was just gonna say for some of them because it, it, if it was the last one potentially, right, you could have more of them. Seventeenth uh, yeah. level, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, so uh, we've talked for a good hour about the rogue here. Uh, I want to take sort of the last thoughts. Uh, what tips, tricks, uh, advice, uh, or any other random last thoughts you have about the rogue? Um, everybody gets a chance to share. So, Ishmael, do you have any last thoughts you want to share? Yeah, um, I've never played a rogue up until recently, uh, and I'm having a blast. And I'd, I'd say if I had a, a, a tip for anybody, it would be have fun. There's something about the rogue that just kind of it lets you uh, cut loose and just be kind of roguey and and uh, mysterious and debonair, just like the the name rogue would imply. Mm. Something almost uh, Alexander Dumas esque, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just enjoy yourself as a rogue. Don't just you know play it like oh I have to do this these things in this order like maybe some other classes do. You you kind of uh, you kind of have your own ticket to ride, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do my uh, last thought to follow up with that. Have fun, but as always with any class, but but rogues especially run this risk. Don't be a jerk, you know. Um, know the game that you're playing. Know the players and the kind of game that they want to play in. Know the DM and what kind of story they want to tell. And being the rogue doesn't mean you have free license to break all the laws all the time and steal all the stuff all the time if that's not the story that you want to be telling. Um, so as always, uh, rogues run the risk of being jerks and, and story ruiners if they're not careful. Don't be that person. I agree totally with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny, last thoughts. I think that um, I enjoy playing a rogue because it kind of gives me the freedom to do whatever I want without being a jerk. Um, so be the weirdest rogue you can be. <laughs> There you go. Sean? Hi. Well, I've, uh, the very first character I played in playing D&D 40 years ago was a rogue. Uh, it's my, definitely my favorite class. And, you know, if you're a new DM and you haven't, or, or if you're going to be having new players come in, the rogue is really a, a good uh, thing to have people play. Mm-hmm. For those reasons we've talked about, they, they uh, meet a variety of, player types you know if you're an instigator rogues are great to play if you're 
you know, someone who wants to hit things and do a lot of damage, rogues are a good thing to play. If you kind of want to sit back and watch, rogues are also a good you know thing to play because then you can just sit back and keep an eye on things and use your skills uh, when when they're appropriate. So, uh, you know, it's always a good uh, always a good option for new players. With the caveat that Jeff said. Just remind people that you know it's a cooperative game, and and you don't want to ruin anyone else's fun by using the term "rogue" to uh, guide your play style. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, those are some some good thoughts. I think it's also interesting. I I, never, I hadn't thought about it, but I normally would have would have been inclined towards a fighter or whatever for new players who are just learning the game because you can build relatively simple fighters. But the rogue gives you a little bit more complexity that I think hooks a lot of players. Like I've played D and D with a lot of uh, middle schoolers for, uh, who are playing for the first time ever, and they don't want simple because it's not as fun for them. And I get that; that makes sense. Um, they want the complexity, and and the rogue gives you a little bit more of that without all the fiddly bits that you forget about and thus screw yourself up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, plus, when you say, like, oh, you know, it's like a video game, but you can literally do anything you want, and then the first time they're like, well, can I do this thing? And I'm like, eh, I can't really think of how you could actually pull that thing off, right? With the Rogue, I can think of ways that they could try to do a lot of things because they're so versatile and flexible. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, well, and uh, Sir Dark Magic was a rogue too for a lot of those same reasons. It was it was very awesome as a brand new player uh, to play her that way. Um, but also, all that damage resist really helps to you in case they do get in <laughs> over their head. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it's not technically resist, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reduction. Uh, speaking of Tracy and Sarah Dark Magic, Tracy, any last thoughts on the rogue, or is that it? Uh, that was a lot of it, but also um, I think it was Chris Sims had. Uh, an article a while ago now about playing boldly. And I think one of the great things is that the rogue does let you play uh, rather boldly, both in terms of giving you this expertise areas. And also, like I said, the damage reduction. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So good thoughts, everybody. Uh, We're going to call that the end of this episode. Uh, We'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, easyrollerdice.com as well as our guests. Ginny, where can people find you? Oh, me. Yes. Uh, you can find me online all the time, everywhere, it seems like. Um, but no, Twitter at Jenny Loveday. Uh, email JennyLoveday at gmail.com. On Facebook, Jenny Loveday. Um, and if you want to see my cats, you can even find me on Instagram where I've changed <laughs> it up. It's G underscore Loveday. Mm. <laughs> nice. And Sean, where can uh, folks find you? Uh, the best best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can check out the Down with D and D podcast, uh, which is a weekly podcast where we talk about pretty much the same thing that you guys talk about, you know, <laughs> all sorts of D and D stuff. Awesome! And you're down with D and D. I am on Facebook uh, under the name of Laura Thorne Adasserl because he likes to be to hard to spell. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, but I am on Twitter and on Instagram, and uh, I have a Twitch handle, which I haven't uh, put to terribly good use, but all of those are Elven Wizard King, which is much, much easier to spell. I'm actually, I actually have a half a mind to change my uh, Facebook name to Elven, Elven Wizard King, and then I can be a little bit more branded. 
I see you on Facebook all the time, then. I didn't know that was you. That's him. I was just <laughs> going to say the same thing. Wow. Yeah, okay. so see, I'm, I'm, I'm at cross-purpose here. I need, to, I need to be better about being a unified uh, mo- uh, media presence. <laughs> and, and, and your Twitter is, like, in my head, I oftentimes think of you as Laura Thorne, right? But your Twitter is not. And no. I, I'm trying to think. I might have, like, Laura Thorne King or Laura Thorne something as like my Twitter name, but then the Twitter, like, you know, that you can have a different name displayed than what the at is, but the at is Elven Wizard King. But anyways. Uh, And we'd also like to say thanks to all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or DMs Guild or being a patron of the show at patreon.com slash tomeshow. And if you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. That comes straight to me, and then I send it to whoever needs to hear it. Uh, or, I guess, read it. You don't hear emails usually. Uh, you can also call us if you do want us to hear you at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can tweet at Sarah Dark Magic for Tracy. You can tweet at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H, for me. And you can tweet at The Tome Show for the podcast in general, which is kind of also me. <laughs> you have a lot of those uh, alter egos I that fit am, well with the rogue. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am many things. And that is episode 301, where I think it's safe to say we stole the show in this episode of... You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't think we fancy? Let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, bird, catch a kick. Your ass, you don't think we street, look at this table full of ice. You don't think we hard, just touch my face. You don't think we can get it at the birds and the bees. I'm a pallet in the streets, but a thief in the shoes. My character shoots, cause they full of the brim. With maxed out sass, out to up in my DM. He think he in charge, we don't worry about him. Simple when he out to get us, be like Jack the Scram. Master player, traitor, master creator. Look at me, master NPC generator. Just cause she a master doesn't mean you have to hate her. Got a boy, I don't need to be no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying. Cause it's just like baseball. There's no crying. You wanna join in? Now you start realizing we're the cool, cool nerds. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A, good S, D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario. Then he or she asks, where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo. We could play forever. Questions or clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, you don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, 
You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to, like me I'm on the wall